May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas! Here we are, finally, at Christmas Day. Yet in John's Gospel this morning, we do not find the account that's been at the forefront of our minds. That nativity scene with its odd menagerie of livestock, shepherds, and angels surrounding Mary and Joseph and the infant Jesus. Instead, this passage calls us back to the very start. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. What a beginning. This beginning is neither the beginning of that Christmas story we know and love so well, nor the beginning of creation that we hear of in Genesis, when the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We're to go even further back. Because the beginning we hear about today is the beginning before the beginning. John describes God who simply is before our whole story commences. How Jesus is the Word who is with God and is God even then. That word, logos, the one translated as word here, can be puzzling. It's a philosophically rich word, and it's translated variously as word, story, subject, or message. And like many philosophically rich words, it can complicate more than it illumines. But of all those various translations, I think the one we're most inclined to think of, Jesus as is story at this time of year. In fact, while it's true that stories are always defining who we are as people, I want to go so far as to declare this season the tyranny of story. Because what is it, what is that sense of anticipation that motivates us and drives so much of our Christmas delight. But a collection of stories we're imagining about how the holiday will go, 
of who will be there, of how they'll react, and of what joy will be had. But more darkly, this is also a season when we are particularly susceptible to those stories which we write in our minds as we mull over what could have been. Those what-if narratives that we know wound us so badly and yet on which we cannot seem to keep ourselves from ruminating. This may be a Scrooge sermon in your minds, but I think that behind all those stories, from the ones of anticipatory excitement to our rueful imaginings, lies the inability to recognize God in the present moment. And the brilliance of the prologue of John's Gospel, the light it shines in our darkness this morning, is the way it emphasizes the intimacy between God and man that we find in the Christ child. And the author emphasizes this closeness, this intimacy, without denying the real trouble you and I have encountering it. We are Christ's own, and yet we struggle to recognize who he is and the import of that fact. In other words, all those issues of recognition that we have, they're about us. They're not about Him. Because it's all too easy for us to miss that this child was the Word through whom all things were created. That He is the only Son of the Father, begotten and not made. And that all the being in this world is known to this baby already, even before his mind can make sense of his surroundings, before he discovers that his own limbs are tightly wound in those swaddling cloths, before he learns to recognize the source of the manure odor that was doubtlessly there. And before he learns to differentiate the faces of his earthly parents from those of the shepherds as they gazed in upon him, or even for the language they spoke to become any more comprehensible to him than the bleeding and the lowing nearby. We know that scene from the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, but it's John's Gospel that underscores the momentous possibility behind it. That in recognizing the baby as God, 
we have the power to become his children, to have a relationship with the creator of the universe, and to be part of his work in the world even. How beautiful the feet of the author of this passage must have been. That's a weird thing to say. I'm checking to see if you're still with me. But in today's reading from Isaiah, we heard that declaration. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good tidings. I love this verse. Although I don't have any special affection for feet, and if I consider Old Testament prophets, I can't think of a single one who is likely to have feet that were aesthetically pleasing in their own right. As a group, I suspect they had some gnarly feet. But that verse is a wonderfully poetic way of saying that the means by which good news from God is delivered become beautiful, regardless of how those means conform to other standards. And it's easy to apply that principle to our Lord's nativity. We begin with a wonderful baby. And actually, the way we adore babies illustrates very well the difference between the kind of appreciation we apprehend from the present and the kind of appreciation we derive from anticipation. Or in other words, from story. I've never seen anyone oogle a baby and declare, she's going to be beautiful. Or, he'll grow into a handsome man and maybe even be stately in old age. Instead, we delight in babies for what they are now, marvelous creatures filled with new life. Look at those teeny hands, someone exclaimed. What big eyes? Another coos. When we enjoy the sight of a baby, we delight in beholding a pure expression of life. And it's perhaps for that reason that Christmas is the most approachable of all the feasts in the Christian calendar. We begin with the simple joy of regarding an infant child. But as we have heard, this isn't just any infant. He is the Word incarnate. And that's why he's more beautiful than any other child. For it is this baby who publishes peace, who brings good tidings of good, and who publishes salvation as no other could. He did this not merely as an infant swaddled in a manger, but even unto death 
on the cross. Where he was a grizzled victim from whom we avert our eyes instinctually. It's harder to behold the beauty of the cross. But cross and manger bespeak the same beauty, the same eternal beauty. From manger to cross, Jesus published salvation. A salvation for you and for me. And what we discover in our Christian walk is how Jesus' incarnation covers the whole of life. How once we recognize him for who he is, every moment is transformed into an opportunity to behold something beautiful. From joyously gazing on new life to the pain each one of us is likely to endure when our health inevitably leaves us. Our lives, our lives, like stories, all have endings. And while we do not know them yet, we are certain to discover our own. But our recognition, our recognition of who Christ is, believing in Him as our Savior, knowing Him to be the Logos, the divine message, stamped on all of creation, binds us to Him. And this is pivotal, not only because it transforms our experiences, all our experiences, into opportunities for beauty, but because made one body with Him by that faith in who He is. Just as there is a beginning before the beginning, there is an end after the end. Life with God forever. And it's for me. And it's for you. And through Christ, it's ours. Through this baby in the manger, it is ours. This Christmas morning, I pray that we might receive the grace to behold the Christ child for who he is right here, right now, in this very moment. That we might recognize God, the eternal instant, infant in the manger.